That dreaded time of the year is finally here, guys. Our beloved Formula One legend, who we have loved for so many years, is finally going to compete in his final Formula One race. We've seen him arrive in the sport as a rookie. We've seen him change his shades. We've seen him become a better character. We've seen him just be loved by the entire globe. And it's that time when we finally see him go away and, and leave the sport for all of us fans to wonder, well, what could have been if that person wasn't here? Wow, it's going to be a hard one to digest. Over the years, I've fallen in love with him, about what he can do on the track and also what he can do off the track. I'm going to miss him. This one is the last race of Nicholas Latifi. I'm going to miss you. Well, folks, welcome to the Latifi. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to. Welcome to the Inside Line F1 podcast. It's, it's the final race of Nicholas Latifi's Formula One career. We're not meant to be celebrating this, but I can't help but crack a smile. There's also a couple of other drivers who are celebrating their final race, uh, notably Daniel Ricciardo, potentially Mick Schumacher. There's Sebastian Vettel as well, who we should talk about. And, and I'm joking when I mention him in such an insignificant matter. But I think he's going to be our major focus on this episode. Before all of that, though, let me introduce myself. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. Joining me for the last time this year for a preview episode is F1 Stats Guru Sundaram and the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team, Kunal Shah, who is now working as an FIA accredited journalist for the Play Network. I'm going to miss him, Kunal. I really am going to miss him. I mean, we saw him come as a rookie. We've loved him so much. He's made such an impact on the sport and also on the carbon fiber and in the barriers. Man, uh, how can we how can we live with Latifi leaving? Well, Latifi has been very reflective in his goodbyes. He actually said in the press conference today when he was seated, and he said that this was actually my third season with Williams, which we know, but it was also his worst performing season. So he's been honest, reflective, uh, etc. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to question or put the question back again. We have Ricardo, we have Sebastian Vettel, we have Daniel, uh, sorry, and Mick Schumacher going, right? What are the bets that at least three out of these three are going to come back in Formula One in the near future? And with which team. Of course, we don't know with which team yet, but all three of them actually are seemingly looking to come back. You know, Mick Schumacher said, I'm disappointed we did not renew, but I want to come back. Daniel Ricciardo said, I want to refresh 23, come back in 24. And, you know, we all know Fettel left because he wasn't competitive enough. So, hey, if suddenly there is a competitive seat that comes up, could he also come back? So, sorry, Mr. Gotifi, I'm not taking your name in this context, but I get a feeling that well, okay, I'll be realistic. At least two out of these three drivers will make a comeback in the next two or three seasons. I mean, if hey, I'll put it this way. If Nico Hulkenberg could make a comeback to Formula One after having the most Hulkenberg-type seasons in Formula One, it's Mick Schumacher, it's Daniel Ricciardo, and it's Sebastian Vettel that we are talking about. Seriously, Sundaram, how many times has Hulkenberg come back now? I remember in 2012... I remember it happening, what, in the middle of last, uh, I think, 2020 as well. Now he's back again uh, in 2022 as well. So that's, I think, four times that I can remember on the top of my head. What should we name him? Should we name Hulkin back permanently or something? Well, I like that name, Hulkin back. And every time he, he comes back onto the grid or, or, or for a race, everyone loves 
you know putting other out hulken back but it's it's a very interesting choice in in my opinion because they're going they're getting rid of a young mick schumacher and they're going for experience and i think hulkenberg is 35 years old and i think a lot of people have are very divided with with this choice of going with hulkenberg uh, but i think what i like i mentioned the last time out as well i think they're going for stability because mick has uh probably be not been the cleanest of drivers and there's been a lot of you know uh, expenses when it comes to the uh, to the accidents or, or the crashes that he's had so they have someone with a long term contract and in kevin magnuson and probably this this trying to minimize the how much they spend uh, with, with the other seats so they're going for experience and and hoping that they have a stable and pretty pretty i mean not very what do you say eventful 2023 Well, it could be eventful if you have Magnussen partnering Hulkenberg, at least in terms That's of media cool. and radio comments. No, but no, seriously, Mick Schumacher. Actually, it's a little unfair to have him off Formula One because last year was literally no year for him. He was with Mazepin, you know, and I think Ferrari sort of put him under the bus here by placing him at Haas in the first place, right? Because we know it was not his first season was literally this year, right? Now again, when he started this season, Mark Newson actually came back, had a very strong comeback. Haas had a very strong car at that time before the others out developed them. So Magnussen could suddenly get these string of results, put some points on the board, and then suddenly Haas sort of has been through a dip since then, right? In the process of this, Mick of course has had his crashes, but he's, you know, had some battles with Verstappen and Hamilton, which, you know, Formula 1 has been playing up on social media. He's also scored a few points, but unfortunately, uh you know the dip in form that Haas has sort of taken has masked some of the you know improvements that Mick has made through the course of the season he has been closer to Magnussen but you know Haas at the end of the day feels that hey we need somebody to force Magnussen even more to elevate his game and that's where they've gone and sort of got a Nico Hulkenberg yeah i'm i'm so curious to see how he gets back again especially when he's back with his teammate oh not teammate but best friend kevin magnuson i should just name the team money grams up my balls racing team for next year which will be fun i suppose but let's not let's not get away from the biggest point of the entire weekend guys which is okay not latifi leaving i was joking at the start it's sebastian vettel leaving and over the last week he's posted some really emotional messages messages on social media pictures of his childhood karting days him getting a trophy from michael schumacher him racing as a 5 year old it's just making you tear up seriously i i don't know i've been mean, uh, watching it from my very childhood my first memory of formula 1 was sebastian vettel winning at 2008 monza grand prix italian grand prix as it was that back in the day it just feels absurd that the person you follow all along in your entire childhood is going to be leaving the sport suddenly and very very quietly how do we even digest this syndrome because it's like one of the pillars of formula 1 who's been here since 27 2007 i mean just all of a sudden vanishing it's it, it, i think it's dawning upon us right now if anything uh yes and i've actually given this a uh, long enough thought this very question on why will we miss sebastian and i and i've i've realized this over the years that he's probably one of those drivers who i didn't i did not appreciate as much as i should have probably you know he came on on the scene as a talented hot-headed kid early on but with a lot of talent and skill and at a time when you probably didn't know who was going to be winning the championship was it going to be massa hamilton button and then you have this young guy winning four championships on the trot and with him wagging that finger you would 
you would it, it probably a lot of people really did not like him back then and I, i can admit that i was probably one of those people but the way he's actually transformed when he went to ferrari and then aston martin he's become such a lovable lovable character and and the way he's actually professed his love for ferrari the brand and 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 uh, i mean the, the team as well it's it's so nice to see and i'm going to miss his mind more than anything else that sharp smart mind that he has the way he's able to sometimes tell ferrari what the strategy should be and his passionate radio messages i, I really can't remember someone you know celebrating so passionately after a ferrari race win or even on the podium and i'm going to miss all of that especially his character and his mind more than anything else did he used to sing as much in the paddock as well kunal when you were there back in the day and because when he was with ferrari all those radio messages when he was singing and dancing and speaking in italian they seem just so out of character when you compare the old sebastian vettel where i mean even i can confess i hated him back in the day but what was it like for you when you were working at force india was there also a feeling of hate that this guy is just running away with everything he doesn't give or doesn't leave anything on the plate for any of us Well I actually had some very humble moments with him at Singapore which I've sort of stated in the you know several of our episodes before very unchampion like no air about himself just walking around like a boy saying I'm here to race cars everything else is I don't really care about a very interesting point that F1 stats guru made Sundaram that uh, you'll miss his mind I'll miss his mind his humor his his love and passion for the sport very very old school very uh raw if that's the word i may put it as that and and uh you know just to see where it sort of goes from here i i just wish that it was there was probably something better for him to do than to fight a land stroll in an aston martin and the last few races of his have been fairly interesting uh, we've seen him sort of go up a notch uh, and so on but uh you know about about all else i'm i'm eager to see how we sort of end up uh embracing uh, the new blood that's going to enter Aston Martin as well which in this case of course is going to be Fernando Alonso you know on the topic of if we're going to see these drivers coming back i think sebastian vettel would come back at some point of time maybe even if it's a, a one off race but sebastian vettel is one of those people who has the potential to actually go on to become a race director or someone at a high pos- at a high managerial position perhaps at at ferrari he has the potential to do that but i don't think so he would really want to be in that environment considering the politics and how sometimes certain things go maybe he won't really enjoy that as much yeah let's actually wait and see i think if there's anything he can do virtually by home i mean at home uh, he he wouldn't really mind that but let's not speculate on vettel what he's going to do i'm really just hoping that they allow him to do donuts because that'll be amazing right the way to bow down or or call a curtain to a formula 1 career the best way is to do donuts and He did it back in India 2013. He's going to do it over here, hopefully. That'll be quite a memory, Kunal, at the end of the day, no? Yeah, I mean, the serious stuff aside, I'm excited to see all the tributes that have already started to pour in for Vettel. You know, Fernando Alonso's got a Vettel tribute helmet. George Russell did a helmet swap. Uh, you know, Will Hamilton, Will Leclerc, Will... Toro Rosso's of the likes, all of them join in a post-season donut ceremony for, for Vettel. Uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to assume uh, that they will work on giving him the best send off, right? So I'm I'm excited to see sort of where that goes. And uh, given Alpine's record, let's hope that Fernando Alonso doesn't have a DNF before he ends up, you know, participating in that donut ceremony. Or 
Some will like you put it on the group chat. Maybe everybody does a tribute spin for Sebastian Vettel. But no, in all seriousness, there is something we all can control. Who will we actually vote for as the driver of the day? Is it going to be Vettel, Ricardo, Schumacher, or Latifi? And I don't think Latifi has ever won a driver of the day award. So maybe just for his sake, I will vote for him this time. I never vote for the driver of the day, mind you guys, but I'll do it just for Nicolas Latifi. Do you think you have a choice, Kunal? Do you think I'm going to let you leave without voting for Nicholas Latifi? This is not going to happen. We are voting for him. We need him to do something special to celebrate his one-year anniversary of last year, right? I mean, he had such a monumental crash that cemented his impact on Formula 1. But hey, Latifi aside, we will talk about him in a second. But how ironic is it that both the Red Bull drivers from 2014 could well be facing their last race of their career right here, together? I mean, we all thought that the trajectory would be completely different. We thought that, oh, Sebastian Vettel might be the one who goes to a downslide and he might be the one who suffers and faces a mid-career decline. It's also happened to Daniel Ricciardo and arguably faster. Sundaram, I can't, I can't digest the fact because if I was told in 2014 that, yes, this very Daniel Ricciardo would bow out of Formula 1 potentially again with the same race as Sebastian Vettel, I, I wouldn't agree. I mean, I would, be, I would be saying, are you out of your mind? Just It feels absurd to think about it. Yeah, and we must remember, you know, the likes of Ricardo, Schumacher and Latifi are not retiring from Formula 1, but we're probably making it look like that they won't come back. And probably that is the case, even probably the case of Daniel Ricardo, because he's looking for a reserve role. He doesn't have a seat for next year. Uh, but the interesting thing is, you know, in a paddock filled with so many rivals, you know, when, when they have these sort of battles like like how we saw last time and, and the sort of radio messages that, that come out in, you know, in the heat of the moment, here's a guy who is is literally jovial, a fun-loving personality in the whole paddock. And he's that way with the youngest on on, on the grid with, with Yuki Tsunoda and also with Fernando Alonso. And I mean, probably I, I would like to hear in your inputs on this. Have we had such a character in the paddock before or will we have such a, a character in the future once, once he's gone? And I, I really don't know. And, and one thing I really want to point out is you know, on on Ricardo's day, when when the car is in tune with him, when it is when it does have that pace, I I feel he has that ability to make any race exciting, even if he's not fighting for the win, uh, be it for any other podium spot with his overtakes or just with his with his racing, he can really make a race very very exciting, and I'm going to miss all of that. Kunal, are you going to miss the cowboy accent? <laughs> I think that's the best no, part. I'll- of it. I'll, no, I'll definitely miss all those late breaking bombs that he used to deliver on people. The energy that Daniel Ricciardo definitely brings to Formula One as well. I don't think it's it's done at all. But moving on, moving on from all the tributes that uh, we've been throwing at drivers as well. Mercedes had their first one-two of the season in Brazil, as we all know, which was their most dominant show. All it took was one dominant show for Toto Wolf to make a typical Toto Wolfish statement. He said, we had a one-two in Brazil, but we do not expect to be competitive this weekend at the Yas Marina circuit, right? So that's just the typical thing. You know, you show dominance, but you play it down just pre, pre-race. So that's what, you know, they have done. But yes, the battle for P2, it's been the smallest gap ever than uh, then it's been between Ferrari and, and uh, Mercedes. And Carlos Sainz has said Ferrari is, of course, defending, uh, right? And, of course, Ferrari is now attacking all the Matea Benotto rumors that are out in the paddock. So Mercedes is going to focus on P2, 
whereas Ferrari is going to focus on defending P2, but also defending Mattia Binotto, given all the rumors. And, you know, the fact that they released an official statement made me ask the question, who does the Ferrari admin report to? Because if the Ferrari admin reports to Mattia Binotto, it's not the official statement, but Binotto's statement just released officially, right? But if the Ferrari admin actually reports to John Elkin and whoever else at Ferrari, then it's an official statement that's come. So that's the main question to ask who does, you know, the admin report to. Similarly, for, you know, the Red Bull clarification that came out a few hours ago today, it seems like it was Max Verstappen's statement just released officially from the Red Bull handle because it is so easy to call Red Bull's bluff out here, saying Max was told last lap, last corner, whatever. Brazil, last lap, last corner, usually very popular, but (laughs) this was the unpopular thing because when they actually swapped their drivers, they did tell that Max, go get Alonso and uh, Charles, and if you don't, then you can give the place back. So Max already knew when Checo was doing him the favor that he was supposed to give it back. Right, So whether or not the radio message was late or not delivered or did not reach or whatever, the packets fell off somewhere while reaching uh, Max, it should have been, you know, Max could have just waited and sort of let Checo go. But just just my point. So lots of interesting things, right? Off track to look forward to Ferrari's rumors and this whole Red Bull thing. I'm sure it's still going to brew. We are going to brew it further in the studio on Sunday for wire play in Norway as well. And Brazil last lap, last corner. Well, it's the longest last corner in the history of the world. If really that was the case, you could have ample of time to do so. If it was Austria last corner or Monaco last corner, well, maybe I would have understood. But this one has left me slightly scratching my head. And this time I'm actually scratching my head, not my beard. But it's ridiculous what's going to happen now. Verstappen is not going to be there in FP1 because Liam Lawson's coming up. And I shall talk about that in a second because that's literally become a glorified young driver test, FP1. Because now we've got, who have we got? We've got Williams having Logan Sargent taking part in the FP1 session. Red Bull with uh, Liam Lawson. McLaren with Pato Award. Haas with Pietro Filipaldi. Ferrari with uh, Robert Schwartzman. Aston Martin with Felipe Drogovic. Alfa Romeo with the youngest driver of them all, Robert Kubica. And Alpine with Jack Doohan. So it's absurd. I mean, it's like a glorified FP1 session. But... We're going to see so many major changes over there, and that's going to be fun to talk about. But in the bigger picture, what I was really talking about is, can Verstappen help? Or rather, will Verstappen help? Or how will Verstappen help? Because the bar for helping out a teammate, a Red Bull racing teammate, in Abu Dhabi in the final race of a year, Sundaram, has been set very high. And Max is not quite the best team player in the world, is he? You know, it'll be interesting if Verstappen ends up is is being requested to do what what Sergio Perez did last year. You know, Perez was ahead of Hamilton after the pit stops, and Verstappen was really not able to keep up with Hamilton, and and they requested Perez to slow down. What if Verstappen finds himself in this situation ahead of Leclerc, and Perez asks, "Can he slow him down so that I can battle with Leclerc?" I think it's going to be a very interesting thing. I don't know if that's that's really going to happen. He says he's going to do it, but we really have to see if he. In, in the heat of the moment or in that situation, is he going to do it? I don't know. Yep, got to wait and watch. But Kanal, I want to know your take on one thing. Uh, Hamilton has had an Undertaker-like streak. Ever since his first season, he's won a race in every single season that he's taken part in. The Undertaker streak ended, by the way. I mean, it was, what, 21-1, and 1, if I'm not mistaken? What is it for Lewis? Uh, let me let me count it again. 20, no, 15, right? Is it? Is it not? Okay, my, my math is not very quick. But 15 and, 15 and 0, Kunal. Does it end now, finally? Does he not get that win? I, I really I think, think it's unlikely, but Toto Wolf clearly has a say. 
But I'll, I'll, I'll put another psychological twist on this. Imagine Lewis Hamilton, all of Mercedes, Ferrari, not Ferrari, sorry, Toto Wolff, even the FIA coming to the scene of Abu Dhabi last year, given what happened with Michael Massey, how the title was taken away from Lewis in his words, right? And, and the human error that the FIA admitted actually happened, right? And we've just come out from Brazil. And this is where I see a lot of Hamilton supporters probably not uh, probably agreeing with me, but a lot, a lot of our Dutch listeners saying, oh my God, why do we even listen to this podcast? But in 2003, when Kimi Raikkonen was erroneously given the race win at Brazil, the next race, the FIA reversed the result and gave the win to Giancarlo Fisichella at Jordan. So it has happened where they've changed the race winner and ends the results to have followed later on. But my point is, I can't just imagine what Hamilton sort of feels or would have felt, you know, going into Abu Dhabi. For him, it would be absolutely perfect to claim his win uh, at the last available opportunity for himself in Abu Dhabi, given all the uh, you know all the emotions that he's gone through in the last twelve months after leaving Abu Dhabi last year. But hey, that said, uh, you know I, the, the key question is you know will Red Bull find form and pace again? And you know in Brazil, it seems like they just had a very narrow time to find a setup, and they didn't find a setup that worked. But could they be back to their pouncing best? Will Max, you know, score yet another win? Will Red Bull add another win to their tally? Those typical things, I would say. So I think Lewis's uh, win or Lewis's streak of scoring a win at least every uh, season he's competed in is going to go away, including the stat that only two of his teammates have beaten him before uh, and never in a debut season together, right? So the first time George Russell has joined Lewis as a teammate and has beaten him. Comes with a lot of caveats, a long season, etc., etc. But the stats will read what the stats will read. It will be a nice, I mean, nice way to end the season also for Hamilton. But also it's the fact that it's his 200th race with Mercedes. And yeah, he would really like to win this. Uh, it's it's such a special occasion, you know, 200 races with one team, You no other driver has ever done that. And probably what will be Mercedes' focus is qualifying uh, because in Abu Dhabi, the last, two, I mean, in 12 of the last 13 races have been won from the front row and the pole sitter has won the last seven races. So focus would be probably putting the car on the front row or even on pole and then taking it on from there because they could definitely have the advantage that way. Yeah, and maybe finally we get that one win where Lewis avenges last year. In, in a gentle mm-hmm. minor way, but whatever it is. But one more thing to look forward to this weekend, and I think that's going to be one of the more exciting things to watch, is going to be Formula 2 for two reasons. Firstly, Juan Manuel Correa returns to Formula 2 after that horrific accident that he had, with uh, unfortunately, with Antoine Aubert in 2019. And he's back racing after all his injuries, and that's a wonderful thing to see. But another thing to watch in Formula One, in Formula Two, I'm sorry, is Logan Sargent literally racing for his Formula One seat next year. Because at this moment, he's P3 in the championship. If he stays where he is, he ends up winning a seat to Formula One with Williams next year, which has already been confirmed, by the way. But if he does not, and the driver in P6 is only, I think, some 14 points behind him, if he slips up in those couple of races, Kunal, that's it. It's game over. He has lost his Formula One seat in front of his very eyes. He is in FP1 uh, tomorrow on Friday. So he will, you know, if he does 100 kilometers, he'll score another point, provided he doesn't get uh, a penalty and the like. So then he needs to finish just P8 
uh, to get his super license uh, points. So imagine a scenario where the other drivers who are also in fight for the seat just decide, hey, I'm going to take Sir Logan Sargent out. Let him also not make it to Formula One. I don't know what Williams's backup is going to be. Could it be Mick Schumacher for all we know? No, but in all seriousness, you know, I'm just thinking up a scenario such as this. But I have a feeling come Sunday, he is definitely going to be in Formula One. You know, just wondering if that happens, if for some reason, if he doesn't end up getting the super license, who are Williams going to get in the car next year? Is it going to be Mick Schumacher? Because if he becomes a Mercedes, Mercedes reserve, then probably will he drive in Williams next year? What do you think? Maybe they could have two Nico Hulkenbergs. Maybe that would help. <laughs> no, but honestly, Mick Schumacher would be Stoffel good... Van Dorn. That's the guy they will get. Ah, I have yeah, a feeling. Stoffel, yeah. What a comeback, huh? What a comeback that'll be if, of course, Logan Sargent can't get there. It'll be good for Formula 1 if he does come in, though. But so what's going to be good the, for us? Both the Formula E champions come back to Formula 1. Is that the case? Right. And and Formula E will say, we are the, the most official feeder series because there are more <laughs> Formula E champions in Formula 1 than Formula 2 champions. But anyways, you can, you can debate that stat as well. Holy wow, you're actually right in a way in the last couple of years. And yeah, I mean, it's it's just crazy how it's planning out right now. But let's wait and watch what happens this weekend. Sure, I mean, it'll be important to see what happens between Perez and Leclerc for P2 in the championship. That's essential. But more importantly, the last race of Sebastian Vettel on a serious note. Yeah, it'll be quite something to digest. I hope you have a good weekend, folks. I hope you enjoy and I hope we enjoy it again, Sundaram. Now, you mentioned about Leclerc and Perez. And I think you've totally forgotten that. I think George Russell is also in the running for P2 in the championship. Is he? Yeah, he's 25 points away from matching Perez and Leclerc. Am I, am I right? Now, you've caught me in a little bit of doubt right now. No, I think he is. He is. He's is at 265 points and one race win and a fastest lap with Leclerc and Perez retiring. Could see him finish P2. I mean, we've seen stranger things happen. Stranger, yes. tra- la, 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 la. stranger, stranger things happen. Thing. Yeah, you, you get the point. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so, many, so many stories to look forward to this weekend. And let's just hope that they play out really well. Enjoy the weekend, folks. Try not to cry. Yeah, what can I say? We, we'll miss Formula One, but we'll be back on Monday with the rest of the episode. So check that out as well. Bye, folks. Have a good time. Bye.